This podcast is hosted by R Double P. If you are easily spooked, creeped, or offended, this might not be the podcast for you. Welcome back to I Think My Fridge Is Haunted. And you know what? I think mine is. My name is Lana Lunacy. And I'm Gemma Lai. Do you hear formal? I, I need to be. I'm like, I love it. So formal. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. I like it. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm back. It's Thank all you happening. so much for that. I think I'm going to get, like, obviously get better at it and let's get smoother. And um, yeah. Do you know, sometimes I just don't even like introduce. I'm just like, Ha, yeah, anyway. <laughs> ha, 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 yeah, you know, anyway. So we're talking about this, yeah. It's it's just conversation. That's what it is. <laughs> Two gals talking in a room. How have you been? What's going on? Oh, my God, lots. What have you been watching on uh, television? Oh, so glad you asked. Oh? And I'm almost tempted to change my, my fact because you asked. Ah, I have been watching the 2004 sensation Lost. Really? Yes. That's interesting you say that because we just finished season two of From, which is by the same oh. like producers or writers, I think. Yeah. And it's got one of the actors is from Lost. Oh, my God. I yeah. That'll have to be next then? It's good. Yeah? Yeah, it's very spooky. <gasps> Great. Yeah. It's a, it, a, a, look, quite a similar premise. Premise? Premise? Premise. Premise. I like that. (laughs) But, like, you know, it's basically all these people, like, they're doing a road trip across America and they drive into this town and they can't get out. You know, like, they try to drive out and then they just drive into the town again and it's just a circle. Oh, cool. And they have to live there and... um, yeah, it's just it's very very weird, and none of them know what's going on. They just sort of they're just trying to find a way out of this this town. That, it's such a simple concept, but so good. Yeah, that's so. It's good. a good show. Yeah, right. it's a good show. I'm probably gonna need another like mystery fix after I finish Lost. Have you watched Deadlock? No, dude, it's Have on Prime. Heard. It's so good. Deadlock. Okay. Yes, it's so funny. It's Australian, written by women, <gasps> directed by women, stars a lot of women. It's about this small town in Tasmania, and it's about a detective down there that is solving a crime that happens. And you know, in these detective shows, I don't know if you've ever watched these these crime shows from Tasmania, but they're always like, we've got to get a detective in from yeah. the mainland. <laughs> the mainland. <laughs> I went to Tasmania recently and I can confirm that is a thing. Oh, really? <laughs> the mainland. Yeah. Yeah. So the detective that they send over from the mainland is like this mega bogan from darwin (laughs) (laughs) the stuff that comes out of her mouth like the swear the swear word creativity is astounding yeah we've got swear portmanteaus like you know we've she's just she's hilarious and she's fantastic and it's just it's such a well-written show so i highly recommend that god deadlock all right all right i love that i love australian film and television like Mm. it's I know it's like pretty cliche, I guess, but like hearing your own dialect and just hearing your own jokes. Yes. Like that's why Lost has been fantastic because it's a flight from Sydney to LA, which I, 
I have done and hadn't watched Lost at the time. Like, oh, right. And thank goodness because, <laughs> because we finished the second season of Lost last night, ah. which is like an Emmy Award winning season. I think I've watched like maybe a few episodes, but I've never really jumped on that Lost train or yeah. plane as it would be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think I was too young at the time to really – appreciate it yeah and, like my parents were like no you're you too young <laughs> you can't watch this yeah and I think I'm just like so fascinated like everyone talks about loss still yeah it, it it's ended, legendary exactly it ended mm. in 2010 mm. and it's still spoken about yeah and that's just how amazing it is yeah I do hear that there's some seasons that aren't as good as others yeah and it kind of goes off the rails, but I'm like, oh, I'm willing to get through this. I got through True Blood. I will get through this. <laughs> and True Blood went, it went through its own peaks and troughs, didn't it? Didn't it just? Yeah. And um, I got fairy season. <clears throat> oh, man, we're going to talk about the fairies. It's okay. It's the best. Um, unpopular opinion. I think season seven of True Blood is one of the best series ever. It's yeah, th- I like the last few episodes. I thought thought it was really good. It was like what yeah. you're talking about with Fast and Furious. Like they made it silly on purpose because they're like it's ending, so who cares? True, true. And then they ended it beautifully. Mm. It was wonderful. It was sad. It was sad. It was. But Lost is like obviously heard about how good it is for so long, mm. and there is an amazing video. There is an amazing video. I think um, there's an amazing video on YouTube called. It's by a guy called Mike Smike. He is from Melbourne. Mm. He's wonderful. He does recaps of seasons. He did like Gossip Girl and Pretty Little Liars. And like he does. He's like a TV buff. Absolutely. And Glee. So like huge TV series. Oh, we did the Glee Curse last (gasps) season. Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Like he, he. kind of covers the TV shows in different formats. Like one was with a whiteboard, one was string like on a wall. It's fantastic. And it popped up like a month or two ago and appropriately unhinged recap of Lost season one. Okay. And I was like, I've never watched Lost. I'll just see, I'll, I'll watch this video. It's two and a half hours long. Jesus. And he's like, I understand, but you're going to watch like, yeah, he's just so captivating from the get go. And what's his name again? Mike's Mike. On Mike YouTube. Smike. Mike's Mike. Mike's Mike. Yeah. Oh, right. It's like a tongue twister, isn't it? <laughs> N-I-K-E. Mike's Mike. Yeah. And he's just so funny. Like, I'm catching myself doing, like, things that he says yeah. on the YouTube. But I watched, like, most of this video and I went, I have to stop or I'm going to spoil it for myself. Because exactly. I am going to watch it now. Yeah. So, you know, watch it, then go back to the video. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I did because I was like, I'll watch some of it because you know how sometimes you're like, if I'm going to watch a long TV series, I kind of want to know what's going on and I, I assume Lost would be all over the place. So I was like, I want to know a little bit of the idea and the characters so I can like understand what's going on. Mm. And it's so good. Like it, my partner and I were like sitting there going, I think because of television now and streaming, mm. everything's so accessible. It's so fast. You can binge watch something in a day. You smash it all out. And it's just like, it's cliche, but it's like, they just don't do it like they used to. Mm. Mm. The writing is fantastic. The characters are fantastic. And like, that's a given, but it's just so captivating. Literally, what, almost 20 years later. Maybe I'll catch up. Do it. 
I, I can't stress enough to people watch like the first episode of Lost. Mm. It's so good. And yeah. you will just be engulfed. Like as soon as we finished the end of season one, we just turned to each other and we went, are we starting right now? Mm. Because we have to know what happens. <laughs> we have to know. Yeah. And it's just such a good example of mystery story writing mm. to keep people hooked. Mm-hmm. And one of the producers is J.J. Abrams. Really? Yep. yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's like – I'll let you watch – you should watch the the unhinged recap because mm-hmm. uh, he does a bit of like uh, – talks about how it was made at the start. But it was like originally uh, meant to be called like Nowhere and the producers that I think it was ABC were like, no, we don't like that. We don't like it. And like all the episodes were meant to be like um, singular, like it was story, middle and end, every episode. Right. That did not happen. Okay. Like you could just jump in and follow it wherever you wanted. Like what Supernatural used to be. (laughs) (laughs) Rip Supernatural. But um, yeah, so good. See, I could talk about it for hours. I won't. um, Mm. But I I just cannot stress enough. So good. So good. Mm. All right. Cool. What's your fact? Facts from the freezer. Facts from the freezer. (laughs) Do you know... About the deepest drilled hole on Earth. No, but I'm already freaked out. Mm. It's also commonly known as the well tell. I bet it is. Mm-hmm. What if, like, lava springs forth? Right. What do you do? Right. So it was located in Col- Or ants. <gasps> giant ants. <gasps> what if giant ants came out of the hole? With <laughs> lasers for eyes. <laughs> You don't know. Exactly. Don't drill into the earth. That's what they were doing. They were like, stay ignorant. The- Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> I didn't understand that until now. And now I understand. I don't want super ants. Fire ants, that's where they come from. Hell. Right. Straight from hell. It's like opening, you know, the, the pharaoh's tomb. You know, the the spores. <laughs> the spores. You don't want that. Don't unleash the spores. Curiosity. One of, like, our, our most... Damning vices as humans, mm, isn't mm, it? Mm. Just don't. Just don't, don't do just, it. Just go back to the sofa and watch Netflix. <laughs> watch Lost. <laughs> watch Lost. Sakes. Don't get on a plane. Just watch Lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, these guys did it. It's uh, it's known as the Kola Super Deep Borehole. Where is it? It's in Kola Peninsula, um, in the ruins of an abandoned Soviet scientific research station. Of course, it is Soviet. Uh, the project attempted to drill as deep as possible into the Earth's crust. Mm. That was it. They were like, how far can we go? I wonder how wide the hole is. Well, it's only 23 centimetres. Oh, it's little. Yeah, little or Seems nine Seems kind inches. of redundant. Yes. Like, oh, you can't don't... go down it. What, do they still put a camera down it? Well. It's not big enough for the giant ants to get through. No, they're stuck. Maybe they they're have stuck. thought this through. Yeah, they're like, better not make it too wide. Mm. Just in case something, something makes... crawls out like, um, you know, the almighty Sarlacc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 um, the worm alien from Star Wars. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they knew, they knew. Yeah. Um, so the Well to Hell is an urban legend regarding the borehole, which was perp- uh, purposely drilled so deep that it allegedly broke into hell. So the drilling began in uh, May 20, uh, 
May May twenty fourth, nineteen seventy, and became the, the 70s. It's always the damn seventies. So curious, so stupid. Mm. The the it, it became the deepest man made hole in history in nineteen seventy nine. Now, I was looking this up, and it was really hard to tell whether it's still the deepest hole. Mm. I think it got overtaken by an oil drill in Qatar. Okay, highly possible. Highly possible, especially with updated technology. Like, yes. Uh, the drilling was stopped in 1992 to 4. Again, sources are all over the place. They kept drilling for 24 years. Yeah, long, long time. Who funds this? Soviet. Can men. they fund this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Can we be sponsored by. We're slightly the more useful. Yeah, we're telling the people. <laughs> the- Super deep borehole. This broadcast is brought to you by the super deep borehole. <laughs> <laughs> Little jingle. Yeah. Super deep borehole. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. Um, so it stopped in 1994 after. Um, they Run, found nothing. Running out of funds. <laughs> yeah. Running out of funds was one, but they did four different holes in attempt uh, to drill as far as possible and drill bits were breaking off and multiple geological finds happened. And they were like, oh, I'm satisfied. Right. Because they found things that no one had seen before, of course. Different rocks. Different rocks. There was like... Um, Fossils? Fossils, uh, different organisms, um, different minerals. Like, they found a lot in this thing of like from the 70s to the 90s. They found a lot of different things, which was really, really cool. That's a really cool element. Is it safe though? I mean, you know, kind of like, you know, you can't take like your dog on a flight to another country to because it has to be in quarantine and all this stuff. What where's the quarantine? If you've if you've dug down like two miles or something like that, you'd think, okay, fossil slash spore. Mm, what's growing? We're gonna down put there. you in a quarantine station for seventy two hours. Yeah, absolutely. Before we unleash you. Yeah. <laughs> before you're let back into the wild. Well the 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 hole itself is like a big metal like I think you can see the the top of the plate there. Oh. So it's like the drill was big arm that came over and it went into this hole and it was all sealed up by metal around it. Mm. So it's not like just a hole out in the open. They just put a drill down and thing. It was all covered up, I think, for those reasons. Yeah. Making sure nothing's put a, coming They put out. a book on it. Yeah. And a rock. A cup, cup of coffee. Yeah. Just popped it there and they're like, it'll be fine. <laughs> but – um. They drilled it for ages and there was uh, four different holes and the first and main hole or the well to hell was 23 centimetres, nine inches wide and a depth of 40,230 feet or 12,262 metres deep in 1989. So like 12 kilometres? 12.2 kilometres. Some uh, sources, and I could be getting mixed up with the different drills, like the different holes. Some say it's uh, 12.2, some say it's 14.4. Uh, 4. Mm-hmm. So, thereabouts. Around about, you know, give or take two kilometers. Not bad. So, the drill, uh, the drilling took 19 years to drill this far, but the drill bit was only one third of the way through the crust of the Earth's mantle. When it reached the nine mile or the 12.2 kilometer depth, uh, depending on the source, the drill bit started moving wildly and broke through the rock 
into a hollow area in the Earth's crust. Mm. When the drill returned to the surface, it was glowing red hot. So, you know, when you put a hot hot poker in and it's glowing and sizzling. No. (laughs) When engineers started hearing strange sounds coming from the hole, they lowered an extremely heat-tolerant microphone along with other sensory equipment into the well, which melted within seconds. The temperature depth was within or over 1,000 degrees Celsius or 1,832 Fahrenheit, Mm. but was long enough to capture what they believed to be the sounds of hell and the tormented screams of the damned. Oh, my God. A 17-second recording claimed to be what the microphone heard. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, I want to hear it. Hell yeah. (laughs) Okay. Hell yeah. Here we go. Jesus. Yeah, I should have done a warning. I mean, sounds like a Trump rally. <laughs> Doesn't it? That is terrifying. Terrifying. Imagine hearing that and going, you know what? Let's get closer. Jesus Christ. Mm. So the urban legend also claims that. Talk about a great place to hide some evidence though. (laughs) Just drop it down a hole that goes to hell. I didn't have a drink at work, (laughs) boss. Like, bye. Oh my God. The, The urban legend also claims a huge cloud of smoke came from the hole. A huge bat came flying from the smoke of course the words i have conquered written in the sky medical teams were cert, uh, were sent out to give the engineers on the site who were going insane was i have conquered written in russian or english we don't know well that's a good question i assume russian right they were all russian yeah, yeah um and if i saw i have conquered in the sky i'd probably be running too uh, so, uh, like, uh, engineers were given sedatives to erase their memory. Ah. Yes, this is all claims about the urban legend. But the recording of the tormented screams was later found to be a layered and loop audio section from a horror movie. Oh, uh, not a Trump rally. <laughs> they were like, I oh, know what, we'll get him. Emailed to a radio station in 1998 and turned out to just be a great story and possibly identified as the soundtrack from the 1972 B horror film Barren Blood. Hmm. There you go. So the whole thing, so th- the, whole the whole is real. The whole is real. But the hell is not. The hell is not. So they drilled into the hole. It was extremely hot, obviously, if you're drilling into the Earth's crust. But all all the tormented screams, that audio recording was just made up to scare Christian children. Well, well, it's like it's it's hard to kind of track, but it was sent. Go to bed, or we'll put you down the hole. Put you down the tormented cells hole. Um, Sent from like an evangelical. Uh, community mm. it was found and like it it was some guy that read this story from a an article from overseas and he went that's a great story mm, let's scare my make people it absolutely yeah. tormented oh my god oh my god the I whole continue. the sounds are continuing but i just thought that was so cool that's really cool 
so cool. Did it have you on the edge of your seat though? Like- <laughs> it did. It totally did. See, stuff like that, I'm like, tell me more. I got Steno. People, we want it to be real. We want it to be real. Yeah. <laughs> that was my fact. That was my. Story. I love that your facts are like a mini story. Oh, I, just, I love that. As soon as I read something, I'm like, hmm, is it true though? Let's have a look. Let's dive in. Yeah. And then you can't stop. Jump down the rabbit hole. I completely understand how mm. you're so good at these stories because it's just like, I got to know. Mm. I got to know what's going on. Yeah. Yes. So I'm glad you like it because I was like, is it too much? I hope it's not too much. <laughs> too much. Have you listened to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> All right. My fact from the freezer, as always, relates to my case. Of course. Today we are doing a missing persons case, but it's also an examination of when a case receives good police work versus when a case gets not so good police work. Mm -hmm. So, and also just, anyway, just listen. (laughs) My fact is, and thanks to Angel from Three Fates Media who um, explained this to me, the word zipolitos apparently means bare feet in Greek. Okay. It does relate to the story. (laughs) Bare feet. So I've only got two sources for this story. Um, One is uh, episode one of Homicide with Ron Iddles, the famous uh, detective, and also an article from a a a blog page called wildwoods.blogspot. And this this happened locally to here. So on December 5th, 2003, Joanne Adams returns home from work in Cranbourn. Yes. Now, Cranbourn is basically just between where you live and where I live. Yes. Uh, which is a suburb in southeastern Melbourne. And she finds her partner, John, preparing a spaghetti bolognese for dinner. And her 17-year-old son, Gary, had apparently left for the evening. He sometimes rode his bike down to Frankston to hang out with friends and often stayed for a night or two. That night she wasn't worried, as long as he called to check in soon, as he always did. It was a Friday night after all. But when the next day came and Gary had not returned home and was not answering his mobile phone, Joanne began to fear for her son's safety. He was a good kid who was close to his mum and was even good mates with her partner, John, who lived with them. Having learning difficulties, he was considered to have a low IQ and attended a school that was able to give him the support that he needed. But what he really liked was being outside on his bike or on his skateboard. Plus, Christmas was coming up in just a couple of weeks and he would never miss that. He loved celebrations like birthdays and Christmas and he liked to keep an eye on the gifts that everybody got. According to Joanne, he was a real sticky beak. (laughs) He wasn't a troublemaker, but when Joanne goes to the local police to declare her son missing, she feels their judgment when they learn Gary's age. She said you could see the shutters coming down. So... As we've heard in many, many stories, you know, my child has gone missing. They're probably a runaway. They'll yeah, come back yeah. tomorrow. They're probably at a friend's house. You know, we've heard so many stories about teenagers going missing or young people going missing and it's been brushed off. Not always, of course, but we have heard a lot of stories Absolutely. along these lines. So 
During this time in 2003, the homicide department had been shut down at the local police station and the active cases had been handed over to other investigators. So we're looking at a time where I think they were a bit understaffed. Right. Joanne and John gave statements about the days leading up to Gary's disappearance, but nothing had been done apart from that. It appeared that several investigators had been assigned to the case before it went cold, rather than just one person. So it would be sort of passed on to someone, they'd work on it for a bit, then it would be passed on to somebody else, then passed on to somebody else. So there wasn't one designated investigator looking at Gary's case. Right. Which must be incredibly frustrating for the family. It was as if the police had marked him as a runaway or a degenerate kid and left his case on the back burner. In fact, it took eight full months for Gary to be officially listed as a missing person. Whoa. How frustrated would you be? Eight months. Yeah. And to a mum that knows that her son, you know... He's not just going to go missing. He has a routine. He has school. He has friends. He loves Christmas. It's it's out of character. It's definitely out of character. Yeah, and not to be believed is frustrating. Yeah. 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 We have to remember um, also that this was at the height of the time of the gangland murders, the famous sort of bulk of which happened – from the mid-1990s through to about, what, 2012 or so Mm. and inspired the TV series Underbelly. So around about 2003 when Gary went missing, um, there was a lot going on in Melbourne as far as crime is concerned. Yeah. There were shootings, there were all kinds of gangland-related incidents. So I think there were cases that did go on sort of a lower-profile I don't want to say back burner, but yeah, they didn't attract. I, I think there was probably a lot of pressure on the police at that time to solve these gangland cases because they were so highly talked about and they were so largely covered by the media. Yes. So there was a lot going on. So Christmas came and went and so did Gary's next birthday. Joanne and John celebrated in Gary's absence, blowing out his candles on the cake. Joanne tried her best to keep the case active, even appearing on the news as part of a walk held for missing persons. There were no leads in the case, no crime scene, no clues, no persons of interest, no suspects, and frankly, no body, so it's possible that Gary had simply left. It's possible... Is it probable, though? Probably not. No, not by the sounds of what he's like. It's not like him. No. Eight years passed. <gasps> what? With no sign of Gary Adams. Oh, that's horrific. It's awful. Yeah. Really, really awful. So, let's skip forward to 2010. Senior Detective Ron Idles a cop with decades of experience and a high success rate, is doing a presentation about his work solving crime at the Box Hill RSL, which is about a 20, 30-minute drive from Cranbourne. Yeah. I would say it's eastern suburbs, Cranbourne is southeastern. Yeah, yeah. 
Ron finishes up his talk and afterwards he is approached by a woman who tells him her son has been missing for eight years and asks if he can help. Her name is Joanne Adams. Ron is honest with her and says the case is not familiar to him. However, he does tell her that the following morning he will find Gary's file and he'll take a look. Sure enough, the following morning he calls Joanne and says, I've got the file. He's going to take a look, he's going to read through it and he's going to get back to her. Ron is interested in the case and he thinks it's one that he can solve. Mm. So finally, Joanne's like, someone's listening to me. Yeah, someone. Someone's actually looking into this. And not only that, it's Ron Idles who's like, you know, this superstar detective. Yeah, literally just did a talk about solving these kinds of cases. Yeah. He's a confident man. He's very good at his job. Mm. He's quite imposing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I remember once, I've probably mentioned this on here before, uh, my family and I were having uh, dinner in a Thai restaurant in Frankston and all of a sudden my mum starts going nuts. She goes, Gemma, Gemma, Gemma. I'm like, what? Ron Idles is on the next table. I was like, mum, calm down. (laughs) He's going to hear you. <laughs> she made it so obvious. Oh, like a mum does. I love that. So Ron becomes the lead investigator of Gary's case. Fantastic. And he begins the process of reviewing the existing files. He wants to know exactly what happened that night, what level of investigation has been done, and who's been interviewed, and whose alibis have been recorded. So... Unfortunately, there's not a lot for Ron to go on because the missing persons unit had been shut down around the time of Gary's disappearance with active cases being transferred to homicide detectives who are already snowed under with their own cases. And when you've got homicides to investigate, you've got a crime scene and a body. A missing person who might still come home ends up getting pushed to the bottom of the pile. Right, because there's still the possibility. Right, whereas if you've got a crime scene, there's a body lying there and you've got a family saying, find out who did this. Yeah. There's more pressure. Yeah. (sighs) Although, yeah, so when there's not an obvious crime scene, there's no blood, there's no gun, there's nothing. Yeah, nothing to go off. It's a tough situation. Well, it's kind of like, what can we do? Where do we begin? Yeah, and that's like, you can't say that to someone, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Even if you say, I'm doing everything I can, it might not be much, but that's, uh, at least sounds hopeful. Mm. Like, Mm. mm, Mm -hmm. yeah. So apart from the statements that Joanne and John made, there wasn't much of an active case to speak of. Mm. Ron decides to start from the beginning at the home with Joanne and John. So back in 2003, Joanne Adams and John Zipolitos, oh. bare feet, oh. <laughs> had been together for some years. Well, I, I got in contact with Angel because I said, I don't know how to say this name. It starts with an X. I'm clueless. <laughs> Help. So he, um, he sent me a voice file going, like, repeatedly. Zipolitos. 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 <laughs> I was oh like, thank God. you so much. Such a beautiful man. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So John and Joanne had been together for some years and they'd met through work at General Motors where he operated the cherry-picking machinery. I'm not sure what she did there, but he was basically a machine operator. Later on in their relationship, Joanne began to run a printing business while John worked as a mechanic. By 2003, however, the relationship had collapsed, although they continued to live together. On the late afternoon that Gary went missing, Joanne returned home at approximately 6pm and saw that Gary's skateboard was out on the front porch, but noted that his helmet was gone, which suggested he was out on his bike. Yeah, right. Going inside, she asked John where Gary is. John says that Gary came home a couple of hours ago and told him he needed to fix his bike chain. So John gave him the keys to the shed and said that Gary went in, fixed the chain and left the property soon after. Okay. Seems pretty plausible. Plausible? Normal? Yes. Yeah. It's like, I want to fix my bike chain because I want to go to my friend's house. Yeah. So that's where Joanne presumes that Gary has gone over to see his friends in Frankston. Although it was weird to her that he had not mentioned his plans earlier. I think they had kind of, you know, the the usual thing would be, you know, even at breakfast. Hey, I'm staying at my friend's house tonight. Yeah. You know where I am. Usual spot. John doesn't seem worried in the slightest. So Joanne takes his advice that Gary would be home soon enough. John and Joanne eat dinner together and settle in for the night. But over the weekend, Gary still doesn't come home or get in contact. Joanne calls him numerous times, but he doesn't answer. She calls his friends in Frankston, but they say they haven't heard from Gary. Mm. So there's a small part of this documentary episode that describes his friends basically as like the local stoners. Or if you're in Frankston, just stoners. Yeah. (laughs) Just Frankston people. (laughs) (laughs) There's no suggestion that Gary partook in any drug use of any kind. I think he just liked to hang out with these kids and he was accepted by these kids and it was just, it was a safe place for him. Nice, relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. And look, if you're going to hang out with people and you want to be chill, may as well hang out with stoners. (laughs) (laughs) But none of his friends know where Gary is. So Joanne starts looking around the house itself, like, right, what can I find here at the home? She opens the door to Gary's room and finds two odd things. One is a half-eaten pack of potato chips. It looks as though he's got up in the middle of eating a snack and then hadn't come back. Hmm. And what strikes me as weird is that this is a 17-year-old boy. He's not leaving snacks. I was going to say, I'm not leaving snacks. Like, I mean, 17-year-olds eat everything. Yeah, they're hungry. They're hungry. Like, <laughs> feed them and then you go. And then, yeah, yeah. Mm. The second odd thing that she notices is even stranger. He, his backpack that he takes everywhere is still in his bedroom. Okay. Red flag. Big red flag. And she says he would never leave without his backpack. Hmm. Later, Joanne is even more alarmed to find Gary's keys on top of the fridge. What? So we've got a half-eaten snack, the backpack, the keys, 
No note or message to say where he's going and he's not answering his phone. There's too many alarm bells going off yeah, right now. His friends hasn't seen him. Like, his friends haven't seen him. Ugh. It's just not like him. Yeah. So Joanne and John get in the car and they start driving around physically looking for Gary. When that returns no sign of him, Joanne goes to the Cranbourne Police Station and also, like, back in 2003, I'm trying to figure out what Cranbourne looked like. You know, it's still a really highly developing area. Mm. It would have been a lot of farmland back then, I think. Well, yeah, definitely back, like, early 2000s. There's only so many places that you can go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, unless you go to Frankston. Like, yeah. <laughs> which would have been. But your suburbs like Clyde and all those sort of, True. you know, sub suburbs of... Uh, of Cranbourne I don't think were in existence yet or if they were they were in their very early stages yeah um Cranbourne I think was just a lot smaller back then and it would have been like in the middle of nowhere at that point like yeah like outer eastern suburbs yeah so yeah there's only so many places that you can go Mm. in 2003 in the outer eastern suburbs yeah Joanne goes to the police station and that's when they ask her some details about her son and she gets a non-committal response from them due to his age. And after that, she says uh, – she also says he's allowed to go to his friend's house mm. and then the police are just not that interested. They're like, oh, he goes to his friends in Frankston. Yeah, he's, look, he's probably just – Yeah, just you know, being a boy. Being a boy, a being a 17-year-old boy. boy. Yeah. John continues to be a, sor- a source of strength for Joanne. And at his assurance that Gary would soon return home, he takes her out to buy Christmas presents, certain that they'd all be reunited within the next couple of weeks for Christmas. Right, keep her distracted. Yeah. No, not panicked. Yeah, but Gary doesn't come back for Christmas and Joanne knows that that's a really big deal that he would never miss. Yeah. So, finally, in August 2004, Gary is listed as a missing person and in October of that year, the missing persons unit becomes involved and Joanne makes a plea on the news for anyone with information to come forward during a candlelight vigil held at the missing person's seat in Carlton Gardens. She said, he doesn't have to come home, just one simple phone call. Now, I didn't know about the missing person seat. No, what's that? But I found a small blog post about it from July 25, 2012, from a blogger called Wild Woods. They said, out of all the park benches in Carlton Gardens, the one I chose to sit on carried a plaque reading, a special area for those with missing persons. I only noticed it. When it dug into my back, sharp edges made me turn around and its sharp message made me reread it a few times. I sat on the bench as if meeting an old friend because we are all always missing someone. I don't know if that plaque was placed there during wartime to mark the missing in action or if it highlights the action of going missing. Those of us who simply walk out the door one day and never return. Awful, isn't it? And that's where they had this vigil. Yeah. The police may have let the case fall through the cracks, but Ron Idles assesses the situation and he feels like the case is solvable. Wonderful. He wants to speak to the last person who spoke to Gary. And who is that? Jean Zipolitos. Hmm. Joanne says that Gary and John had a great relationship and that John had tried to step up and be like a father figure. It's not 
clear to me where Gary's biological father is. He's never mentioned. Right. So John's also been extremely supportive of Joanne during the ordeal of Gary's disappearance, like literally taking her to the police station looking for Gary in the car. Yeah, not denying it. No. Just being there for her. Yeah. Good. But Ron wonders if it's all that simple or was, was there some difficulty within the relationship? It turns out John had found it difficult to discipline Gary and coming from a strict Greek background, he'd been frustrated at times with Gary playing loud music, for example. Mm. Ron wants to find out John's alibi for the date of Gary's appear- disappearance. The two statements that John made back in 2003 or 2004 explain that John and Joanne had eaten dinner on that Friday night and on the Saturday morning, John went out at around 8am to help his friend Ross build a shed for around four hours and he accounted for his time for the rest of the day up until about 6pm. So Ron does something that none of the other previous investigators had done. He checked John's alibi. Why, he's the king. And he calls this guy Ross. Yeah. John says he's hanging out with Ross. Let's call Ross. Yeah, where's this guy? Yeah. Ross says John had been to his house that day for about an hour and a half. Uh, uh, Not four hours that John claimed. Also... They weren't building a shed because the shed got finished three months prior to that December. Okay, so why are we lying? Why are we lying? Why are you always lying? lying? (laughs) (laughs) The alibi doesn't fit. So no one had done that. No other investigator had checked. It blows my mind. (laughs) It's just good Detective work. It's just as you said. Follow the process. Everyone's a suspect. Like, come on. So in 2010, John Zabolatos has moved out east to a property in a small town called Nyora, which is out sort of Gippsland Way. Uh, it's about 90 minutes outside of Melbourne, and Ron drives out there and he says he'd like to officially interview John back at the station. Mm -hmm. They drive all the way back to Melbourne and conduct a full recorded interview and John tells him that's fine but I can assure you Ron I'm not involved in any way. Ron tells him his alibi doesn't fit and he interviews him face to face and he does this thing where he doesn't have a table between them he just has a chair my chair faces your chair yeah, and we just talk yeah. face to face. And he starts to wear John down. Hmm. He plays the good cop, telling John he's done an amazing job as a stepdad. And he says, it must have been so difficult. And eventually John begins to cry. And Ron takes the opportunity to really get John to talk. He kind of... He really turns on the, the emotional part of – like he, he, he gets very emotional with him. He says – he puts his hand on John's shoulder and he said, John, don't carry it any longer. You need, you need to deal with it. And he says, John, there's nothing that we can't do as two grown men that we can't work through. 
Vulnerability. And yeah. What a great approach. And he just presses and presses and he just perseveres and he just tries to get this answer out of John that he knows is there. Yeah. John is crying and looking into Ron's eyes and Ron says in that moment, this is the guy, this is it. And as he's staring into John's eyes, waiting for that confession, the moment just breaks and John becomes stone cold. Ooh. He just retracts. Oh. He's not confessing. The wall comes down. Yes. Bang. All of a sudden. And you can see it on the video. He just all of a sudden is like, anyway. No. But it's enough to convince Ron of the truth. Yeah. He didn't say it in so many words, but Ron, he's like, that's enough for me. You can see it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He believes John knows exactly what happened to Gary Adams on 5th of December 2003. He's going to get the truth one way or another. So Ron formulates a plan and he's decided the only way to win is to play the long game. Mm. So Ron drives John back to Nyora. And when he gets back, he tells John the next time they meet, he'll have a pair of handcuffs and he'll be arresting John for the murder of Gary Adams. Oh, damn. And John shakes his hand and says, thanks, Ron. And then he walks away. That's ice cold. I love it. Ice cold. Like, sure you are. You'll never get me. Yeah, yeah. Confidence. So what does Ron do to catch this killer? He waits about six months. Then he arranges for an undercover agent to become part of John's life. We don't know exactly how this agent was in contact with John, but this agent was well-trained and very good at their job because one day, and also Ron's not able to tell us exactly how they infiltrated John's life. Yes, of course. Because that would be giving away sort of industry secrets. Yes. But John... One day, almost a year after Ron interviewed him, uh, sorry, a year after Ron interviewed John and told him, I'm going to arrest you, yep. John confesses to the secret agent that he'd been carrying a burden that he needed to tell someone. Oh and God. he thinks months and months has passed. Yeah. Ron still hasn't arrested me. He's got nothing. Yeah, he's got he nothing. He doesn't suspect that there's a mole. The long game. The long game. Yeah, how does he know that it's the undercover? Oh, he doesn't. He doesn't know. I love that. Oh, he I could be that. someone at work. He could be someone who works at the local shop. Yeah. He. It, we don't know in what capacity this special, special agent came into his life. Yes. He tells the agent that when Gary got home that day saying he needed to fix the chain on his bike, they had both gone into the shed and begun to argue. John claims that Gary grabbed a screwdriver, forcing John to defend himself with a hammer. Oh, of course. Ron doesn't believe this because he doesn't believe that Gary was in any way a violent person. It would appear, though, that there was some kind of altercation, which ended in Gary being bludgeoned to death. John then wrapped him in a blue plastic sheet. It was actually a, a swimming pool liner. John left Gary in the shed that night. What? In the backyard. He was... He was there. He was there. So as 
John had dinner with Joanne and told her everything would be fine and Gary's just left on his bike. Yeah. He gave nothing away. <sighs> to like to anyone else I'd be like shock, like denial, all this kind of stuff, but there's something about older men that are so stoic. Mm. They can just so confidently mask. Mask, that's the right word like not obviously not all of them, but like mm. there is that stoic you think of older guys, you think of dads and all that and they are so good at it. Right. Mm. Okay. So in the morning we learned that so on the Saturday morning we learned that John went back out to the shed and started to dismember Gary's body with a hacksaw, which did not work the way he expected. So he went out and bought a power saw instead and began to put the different parts into black plastic bin bags. Some bags he takes to the tip, but most of the bags he takes to his mother's house in Hughesdale and buries them in her backyard. Whoa. And what we have to remember is he's also made time at some point during this day to go visit his friend for an hour and a half to make it look like... He's been there all day. Yeah. Also keeping a straight face. Yeah. Like nothing's happened. Yeah, I should have just waited. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's heinous. It is. So Joanne said, it was normal, John, run-of-the-mill day, nothing out of the ordinary with it. I would have never suspected him. Mm. Joanne later said of John's personality that he was difficult to get rid of if you wanted to leave a relationship and he wouldn't take no for an answer. He would also argue with her about money and he was quite controlling. Mm. John is brought, unbeknownst to him, to a spot where police are waiting to take him into custody. But meanwhile, Ron begins the process of gathering together warrants to search John's mother's house. So he's got John in custody. He needs to find Gary now. Yep. So he needs to find Gary and put him back together. Damn. So when Ron and his team get to the house, they find it's got a large padlocked gate, which they have to climb over. The house and garden are very overgrown and John's elderly mother speaks very little English but allows them to search the property. They begin to photograph and video record the backyard before digging and sifting through the soil. The news are covering the operation from the sky and neighbours are being interviewed. One says that they are joked with John that he may be a suspect. Along the side of the garage they begin to find human bones. DNA showed that they belonged to Gary and they showed evidence of being cut with tools. Ron called Joanne to tell her the shocking news that not only had they taken John into custody, but they've also located the partial remains of her son. Ron gets back to the police station and fulfills his promise to John the previous year. John looks up to him and said, Ron, you've done a great job on me. So in the aftermath of this story, John Zibolitos is recorded smiling and waving at the media as he has walked handcuffed into court, showing a complete lack of 
Disregard. Yeah. Justice Elizabeth Curtin said, You are, to all intents and purposes, a callous, brutal and cunning murderer. Before sentencing him to 27 years with a minimum of 24 years. As of 2021, Joanne still lives in the same house. Well, as, as, as far as we know. Yeah. She reflected on the two sides of John's personality, saying, He was great in a relationship. The moment that you say you want out, he turns into a different person. Mm. She also said, If it f- wasn't for Ron Idle's, Gary's file, would be sitting in storage and I'd still be searching for answers. And that is the story of Gary Adams. And it just goes to show, if you've got a great detective, what great work can be done. Absolutely. As always, I just want to mention the Crime Stoppers number. It's one 800 0 or you can go onto their website, crimestoppers.com.au, and send a written report. If you know anything about an unsolved crime that's weighing on your mind, go over there and tell someone. Absolutely. Because you could change someone's life. Well, you don't know what even a small amount of information may change someone's life. Yeah. Absolutely. Even just the fact that John's alibi didn't work. Yeah. You know, like... Just one phone call to this Ross guy showed Ron that John was lying. So if John's lying, why? Yeah. This could have been solved eight years previously. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it could have saved her so much. Like, to to live with Joanne, knowing what you'd done, and Mm. to watch her suffer for that long, like, Mm. that's a new different not new it's just a different level of evil yeah what's wrong with you yeah well full start what's wrong with you you know and how did you feel after you got rid of her son did it make you feel more in control Mm. yeah like a 17 year old boy that didn't seem to have done that much or like badly to him yeah he was just inconvenient inconvenient wasn't his son so who so Nasty. A bad, bad man. Yeah. Well, uh, you said 24 years minimum? Uh, I've still got a while to go then. Yeah, minimum of 24 years. So, yeah, that was in about, what, 2012? 2011? Oh, 2011. That's right. So, yeah, he's got a while to go. Good. You can stay there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I told you it was a sad one. I'm really sorry. Oh, no. I mean, that's kind of the nature of the beast, isn't it? But in a way, it's like Ron Eddles. What a hero. What a hero. What an absolute hero. I think he's great. He he really, truly (laughs) is. Where is he? Let's get him in here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know sometimes he's in Frankston eating Thai food. (laughs) (laughs) Happy to go and have some Thai food and just wait. Just wait. Oh, well... I don't know what to say. It's just, it is so tragic. And I hope anyone listening to this, you can go home and you can go hold your loved ones. You can go drink some water and just know that there are bad guys, but there's also some really good guys out there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good way to sum it up. I really like that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's as someone who has been a negative thinker a lot of her life Mm. and to suddenly not suddenly, but a lot of work changed to the positive. The, there is ways to look at it at a good way. Like yeah. there is light 
and it sounds so wanky, but it's true. And oh, I'm a big believer in, in finding the, the, the silver lining. You, you gotta. Mm, mm. You, you have to. Do. Absolutely. Mm, mm. But until then, you can jump on the Instagram. You can tell us all your stories. Yes. Tell us what you thought. Tell us what you thought. We're at I Think My Fridge Is Haunted on Instagram. Yeah, have a chat. We want to hear from you. Cool. But until next week, be creepy. <gasps> but don't be a creep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.